0: To the Pharmacy Podcast Network LTC Pharmacy Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's a new year, and here we are in the LTC Pharmacy Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about pharmacogenomics and long-term care. And this is a huge topic for my amazing and lovely co-host that's on here. She does quite a bit of this. You might have seen her post on LinkedIn. Uh, But pharmacogenomics, I mean... I feel like everybody on LinkedIn wants to be—that's a pharmacist wants to be in pharmacogenomics. <laughs> so this is a, this is a great, uh, a great area. I think um, I was—we were kind of talking before we got on the show today about like our history with pharmacogenomics and when we first heard about this. I remember I've worked long-term care for a long time. Years and years ago, there was this amazing thing called pharmacogenomics that had just come out. And a lab company approached us, and I just remember this like, and I think most pharmacists feel this way, kind of up to that point in time, when we were talking about you know, managing medications, it was always, well, this person responds pretty good to it, or this person doesn't respond very well to it, and we knew there was something there, but we just kind of, for lack of a better word, used as much evidence as we could and took a guess on certain people. And I remember when this idea of pharmacogenomics came out where people were saying, you know, this person metabolizes drugs in this way and and we can tailor therapy to that. I just was blown away. And I remember just like jumping all in on this thing. And then we started testing the facilities. (laughs) <laughs> that we serviced and i remember even back then being so so excited about it in the first facility i think they tested like 85 people or 100 people it was, it was a crazy amount and we were doing that across the board all over the place and um, i remember getting the first test results back and boy compared to today they were about as worthless as they, <laughs> they come. There was you almost had to have another full time job just to interpret the results, and knowing anything about what to do with them was just like, you know, it was a guess. I mean, it was I was guessing just as bad then as I was before pharmacogenomics on what to do with them. So that was then, and then Cameron and I we sat down and and uh, met with the pharmacogenomic company at American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. Was that last year? Or is yeah, that the year so that before? would
1: have been in. Well, that would have been in twenty twenty two at the annual ASCP meeting. Um, in, oh, that's right. Where were we? Texas.
0: Texas, Texas or, yeah, twenty twenty two or twenty. I don't even remember. Time just blurs yeah. together now at this yeah. point in time.
1: Well, we had just kind of met, and you had a dinner scheduled with a PGX company and graciously offered to let me tag along because I didn't have dinner plans that night. And so it was, you know, you and the amazing people you work with. And then it ended up being a pharmacogenomics company. And they had a projector and showed us what the results looked like and practical use, what it looks like in long term care. And I was blown away. When I like, I don't really remember learning about PGX in pharmacy school. I kind of just remember hearing like it was, you know, the way of the future, but too expensive for now. And so to see it in real life, you know, I don't get out much being in North Dakota. So I didn't realize people were like doing PGX in long term care until that you know that dinner and so that was amazing because as soon as I left that dinner I'm like oh yeah I'm bringing that back we've got to start doing that
0: yeah I remember you were you were so excited could not stop talking about PGX and uh, I I just remember also sitting at that dinner and I can't remember who it was from that company but they were just so knowledgeable about genes and like how to make recommendations on those and they just kept talking and it was like it was is basically a foreign language because i didn't understand a lick of it but they sounded so intelligent that i just was like absorbed into the conversation so pgx is such a cool um tool i think for pharmacists and uh, something that we can make a huge impact obviously Today we're talking about in long-term care. We're not going to get into all the retail space and all that kind of stuff on these uh, this episode, or if we decide to do a couple of episodes, we're not going to get into that. We're looking more on the long-term care side and what are the benefits? What are uh, what are we seeing out there? What are some of the studies saying? Try to make this as fun as possible, but also give you guys a lot of good information. And then, if we do another follow-up episode, we may talk about some of the limitations that you experience, uh, as well as just some more really kind of neat information about that. Uh, so obviously, if you've been living under a rock, pharmacogenomics is the study of the relationship between a person's inherited genetics and the response to different medications. Um, and when we think about it in the long-term care space, I, I Tamara, I'm thinking back to like a couple episodes last year on deprescribing when we talked about polypharmacy and for those that have uh, slept since then and forgotten these numbers polypharmacy over the last 20 years has increased by i don't know what was it 200 percent or something like that yeah and i think even you said last time that one of your nursing homes and we do see this in our setting as well mm-hmm. average something like 20 to 30 meds a, a person almost
1: yeah yeah it was 27 27- When I averaged it out, it was 27 meds per patient was the average. So somewhere higher than that. So, yeah, it It just
0: blows you away. Uh, And then, you know, when you when we think about back in 1997, I think it was somewhere in the average of five meds. I remember when I first started consulting, there was a, a, a criteria on the roster sample matrix that they would give to state teams that said, you know, nine or less drugs. And and that was kind of the criteria. So they flagged if they were higher than that. Now in 2022, I mean, we're looking at people averaging kind of around what you saw, 15 to 20 meds or more uh, per person. And that is just
1: Mm -hmm.
0: crazy. And the cool
1: thing about doing pharmacogenomics and long-term care, I think um, is you can kind of couple it with another initiative. So if you're noticing, if you want to do PGX in long-term care and you're noticing that home has a, you know, polypharmacy problem, well then couple your PGX initiative with a deep prescribing initiative, because the thing is, you're going to be taking a deep dive through that person's medication list after you get that PGX test result back, So you might as well couple it with something else, whether it's going to be looking at pain and pain control or, you know, PHQ-9 scores and depression and anxiety and how that's controlled or a deep prescribing initiative. Just I do recommend coupling the PGX testing with another initiative, because if you're going to look through all those meds and take such a deep dive into that patient, you might as well couple it with something else.
0: Yeah, that's an awesome recommendation. Kind of goes along with something else that we had found um for today's uh, episode and that was there was a study that actually looked at the prevalence of medications contributing a lot to uh, to polypharmacy and long-term care facilities and what was in- incredible about this is that they looked at basically the 10 most prevalent drug classes so kind of to your point when we're looking at our long-term care residents you can couple it with a lot of initiatives because chances are Whatever that is that you're finding is is a big prevalent drug class, big prevalent disease state management use, et cetera and what's incredible pgx polypharmacy let's talk about that nine out of the ten most prevalent drug classes in LTC those were related to polypharmacy, so nine of ten so it's a huge opportunity i think when we're talking about uh, pgx and what what impact it can have Uh, definitely on polypharmacy we'll talk a little bit in in just a little while on the uh, on the research side about pgx and what we're seeing and what it shows but we're seeing that it can also help with a reduction adverse effects and we all want that especially in our elderly population we want these remaining years of their lives to be the best that they have and we want to be aiding in that quality of life so, no better way to do that than to reduce some adverse effects that they're having to experience. Um,
1: yeah, I can think of one in particular when it comes to adverse effects. Um, and it was an older lady at one of my nursing homes who was on Metaprolol ER 100, and her blood pressure was not well controlled. And she was getting real dizzy. And so one of the providers had called and said, hey, have you done a PGX test on, you know, this lady? And so we looked and she was a 2D6. I think it was either intermediate or poor metabolizer. So she wasn't breaking it down. Of course, increased exposure, increased risk of side effects. So we switched her over to Carvedilol and she did awesome. The the blood pressure was better controlled. The dizziness went away. So just like that one PGX test for that one reason was a huge help. So, yeah, right. definitely decrease side effects for sure. If you can, it's nice too when your providers and nurses can spot them and let you know, because as consultants, we don't always know if they're having a side effect, right. you know, unless right. we're reading it and it's in the patient. notes. how are we going to know that they were dizzy? So it's well, nice yeah. when there's good communication so that you know that there's a side effect and then can can um, do something to help.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, and we'll talk more about this, but that uh, interdisciplinary team approach to PGX testing, yes, we may be looking at the results and saying, as pharmacists, here's what we recommend, but we do really rely on the the nursing staff, the NPs, the PAs, the, the doctors to come to us and say, uh, have you seen this or have you noticed this with this person? Uh, it's a shame. I mean, I wish in long-term care we had all the time in the world that we could round and we could see every single patient and we could identify some of those things ourselves. But like to your point, I mean, it's sometimes it's really hard to to do that uh, and get everything else done in a month. Uh, and kind of you know thinking about adverse effects as we lower those things down, as we get them on the appropriate medication uh, and that precision kind of medicine approach we are going to improve the care. And there's been study after study that's shown improving care. Uh, When we think about getting people off of inappropriate medications or ineffective medications, you're obviously going to see cost uh, containment or cost savings both for the patients that these these are affecting, but also for the facilities. And we won't get into all that for long-term care, but the facilities oftentimes are paying for a lot of medications. So if we can get them off of inappropriate ones, we can see some cost savings, which is beneficial for everybody involved. Well, uh, and not then, only yeah. that,
1: um, sorry to interrupt. Think no, about the time it takes to dispense meds. So if you can get patients off of unnecessary and harmful meds, you can save money. You can say, save the patient from polypharmacy. And then, wow, that polypharmacy came so- oh. up. <laughs> <laughs> as one big slur, polypharmacy.
0: Polypharmacy. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyways, and then also save on medication administration. That's all just huge benefits to everybody. And so when I did the PGX testing um, in one of my homes, we tested 85 residents, but we coupled it with deprescribing and kind of tracked some data. So the average number of meds uh, patients were on before the study was 16.8. And then we tracked it again 30 days after Doing the PGX testing and getting the recommendation letters out. And it was down to 14.46. So a little bit um, de prescribed, yeah. a little over an average of two meds per patient. But when you look at two meds per patient or 2.46 or whatever it was for 85 patients over 30 days, that's 5,967 less doses that they're having right. to give. And that's only if they're taking them once a day, you know?
0: Right. And we've all been there, well, not all of us, if you're not in long-term care, but you're still listening in, we welcome you and and keep keep listening. But if you work long-term care and have been in long-term care facilities, oftentimes you'll see when they're passing to 20, 25, 30, 35 patients on one medication cart, and that can those numbers, those aren't small numbers of drugs that they're passing. And when we're thinking about wanting to make sure that adherence stays high and that we're we're getting those meds passed to these people at the right times and, and in the right ways, anytime we can reduce the unnecessary ones or reduce the meds that they no longer need, that's a win. That's a win for the staff, that's a win for that person. And so that this, I think pharmacogenomics has a definite role in that and so we will share some more research tamara just shared some of her information from uh one of her uh data sets that she was able to pull and and show in real life real time we didn't make that stuff up tamara did that um and that's pretty <laughs> yes, awesome. I didn't make it up we, I we didn't just wing out some numbers right there and like, say <laughs> hey 55,000 people were tested um <laughs> But we'll talk about some research, and I think it's really important as you're looking at PGX testing and the benefits of it and what all it can do that we do pull some more real-world evidence and data just to support or maybe not support certain things about PGX testing. Uh, and one of them comes from JAMDA. And if you're not familiar with JAMDA, it's the Journal of Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Uh, and it's put on developed by the uh, by AMDA, the Society of Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. And what is incredible about this is they were looking, and they focus a lot on long-term care, post-acute long-term care, <laughs> hence it's in the name. So you would imagine mm-hmm. they should focus a lot on long-term care. <laughs> but uh, they have some incredible stuff. And one was a study from 2022, so not too long ago, um looking at the feasibility and potential of pharmacogenomics to reduce adverse drug events so kind of what we've been talking about up to this point not a huge study they had about 17 residents in the study but what i found really cool about this and what Tamara and I were talking about is that 13 of the 17 people had at least one major or moderate drug gene interaction i mean that's a That's a hunk of the 17 participants. And what that translates to is that five of those, so that was major and moderate, the 13, five of those um, had 11 major interactions. So obvious room for making a difference in PGX. You kind of go down through all their study, right? And you look at the very end and how they concluded that. They concluded that the potential benefits of pharmacogenomics Uh, especially in long-term care, appear to be very high. So uh, obviously from the numbers, that makes logical sense. I think most pharmacists listening in on this would agree that makes logical sense. One of the things that they did is they took it a little bit further and they talked about the difference of a pharmacist and what they could do in long-term care uh, regarding the prescriber. And I think we've, we've talked about this on some of our previous episodes that long-term care is a challenging space. When we're making recommendations, sometimes prescribers are all in and we want to work with them and we want to have good relationships with them and uh, try to be an interdisciplinary team. And sometimes that happens and sometimes it does not if we're being 100% truthful on here. So whatever we're looking at, okay, do we do all this work and is it going to actually make a difference? Is the prescriber going to want to buy in or is it the prescriber going to say that's all just magic or whatever and we don't want to listen to that and so they looked at that and they said okay well if the pharmacy or the pharmacist led those interventions and they communicated this pgx to the prescriber did or did it not demonstrate good results and what they found is is that it actually demonstrated fantastic results that the prescribers did it did change the prescriber's behavior towards those medications, meaning that they then turned and made changes to those medications based on the pharmacogenomics. They gave two additional articles to support that. And I think that's huge because as pharmacists, you know, and Tamara, you know, I've talked about this on the show a lot, but we talk about this a lot outside of the show that we're, you know, we want to be making a difference in healthcare. Right. And oftentimes you see all these like articles and it'll list every type of doctor or specialist or whatever, but pharmacists never get list. It's like they forget pharmacists all the time. And so this is a way that we can really shine. I think in not only what we do every single day, because if you're a long-term care consultant, pharmacist, listening in, you need to know from Tamara and I that you make a difference despite how you feel that day or whatever you're making an impact But knowing that this also can lead to the prescriber changing their behaviors to then merit changes towards that patient, which could improve care, could improve life, reduce costs, et cetera, is pretty awesome, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree with this study. Um, So what I've noticed is um, when I started doing the study in one of my long-term care facilities, when I got some of the results back, I Asked some of the providers if they would meet with me at the nursing home and just if I could grab five 10 minutes of their time, bring them coffee, you know, I'll do whatever I gotta do to get, you know, let's be real. 15 is
0: 15 minutes. That's how you get going and you are talking <laughs> to them. And
1: yeah. yeah. So I reached out to the providers that round at that nursing home and asked each of them if I could meet them at the nursing home, you know, before their rounds or after their rounds, and just show them what a PGX report looks like, how to use it, how I can help. And I was able to meet with all but one of the providers at rounds there. And I can say for sure that the providers that I met with were far more willing to accept recommendations regarding PGX tests than the one that I didn't get to meet with. Um, right. So the acceptance rate was much higher if they met with me in person, were able to ask questions, see what it is, look at the evidence, because it's all very evidence-based with the CPIC guidelines and FDA labeling for pharmacogenomics. It's not like you know, we're just guessing on this stuff. It's very well researched and studied. And so um, it did help it get buy-in for sure to meet with those providers. And um, also not just the providers, but I would meet with some of the patients if they wanted to and go over their results, because sometimes as much as you want, you think they should have a med change or the physician does, sometimes the patients don't want to change their meds. And so even sitting down with the patient sometimes and be like, I know you're hesitant to change your medications. I just want to show you this. And so a lot of times that will help get patient buy-in, nursing buy-in. I think being available for questions, you know, testing day or just walking through the facility helps. And I know there are some companies that will just try to target a nursing home and just go in and blanket sweep test without like being the consultant pharmacist. I just don't love that idea. I no. think you need a relationship with the people there. I think you need to be walking around and just be there on a you know monthly basis, at least, and get to know people um, to build that trust and to have that go well and be effective. I think it does help to be the consultant pharmacist, for sure, um, to make it successful and worthwhile.
0: Yeah. And I, I, you bring up an incredible point there because that's what we saw early on with pharmacogenomics is a lot of companies would go in and blanket test the facility. I mean, at the end of the day, somebody has got to look through all these results. The lab company is not, it's, it's the consultant pharmacist. It's the uh, doctors and nurse practitioners, you know, et cetera. But oftentimes it's the consultant pharmacist. We become the, uh, the knowledge base for everybody else. We, uh should you know take ownership of this it does relate to medications and it's a very powerful tool but you know you can't to me you lose some of that patient centered care when you blanket test because you're just saying well like everybody needs this well yes i'm sure everybody really does need it but to your point earlier like when you're thinking about disease state management and maybe you're coupling it to an initiative say that's pain meds or say that's hypertension drugs or whatever and you know that one of the patients, Miss Smith, is very uncontrolled. And everything you've thrown at her, nothing works, right? Then you PGX test and you can make all the world di- of difference. But somehow I just feel like, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe there's people out there that do this um, all the time and, and they disagree. But I feel like that just gets lost in the shuffle when you PGX everybody and you can't see that one person that, really, when we're thinking about care, needs the most help um, out of that group. So awesome points.
1: BGX and long-term care is absolutely awesome. I love it so much. Um, it is a lot to unpack, though, for
0: sure. I know. We're like at the tip of the iceberg, guys, on this thing. And there's so much more here. I mean, not only certifications and knowledge learning and just our you know, education, all sorts of things that we could go into We're just trying to give you guys like a taste of what it means for long-term care. There's another study ran by, I think it was RX Genomics or something like that, that looked at uh, uh, more, more than the previous study that we mentioned, they had 88 residents that were enrolled in this. Uh, 268 active medications Now, if you're a mathematician and you do the quick math on that you're probably like oh well that's nowhere near what you guys said on polypharmacy before but they only included six drug classes so it did not include every single one of their medications that they were on so these people were on far more than that but of those six classes around 300 drugs Um, and what was kind of nice about this is It looked at people that had one of the following diagnoses, and when we talk about long-term care, these are very prevalent, and these are big diagnoses. So uh, major depressive disorder, uh, diabetes, Parkinson's, heart failure, and of course Alzheimer's uh, were looked at they looked at 16 different genes. And as I was going through this with Tamara before, I was like, I don't know what in the heck that gene is. And she's like, Oh, well, this is this and this is that, and this affects fattens (laughs) and this affects this. And I'm just sitting there nodding. Like I agree, (laughs) but I have no idea. So she's much better. I didn't know
1: anything along about a year ago. I didn't know any of this either, but i
0: it's like just, foreign language.
1: Once you start testing a lot of people and reading up on it, you get to know it real fast.
0: Yeah. So they looked at these 16 genes, right? And when they ran the results, and I think this just kind of brings everything we've talked about together. Of course, Tamra just gave some evidence from her, um, from her experience. We just went through a couple other studies and some different things. But of the... 88 residents that they looked at, 53% were deemed to be okay. I mean, in terms of the drug metaboliz- uh, metabolization of the drug, I can't even say that. Look, that was like the polypharmacy thing for you. I can't, <laughs> I can't say anything. So, that uh, 53% were pretty good. So, what they said is that the consultant pharmacist and the medical director felt pretty, uh, pretty certain that they were okay, that they properly metabolized the drugs, and that they, they would look more at effectiveness and maybe make dose adjustments if they didn't feel they were effective, but but those were okay. But if you're, again, doing math, then that means 47% flagged for a drug-gene interaction or some type of interaction resulting in additional medication therapy review by a consultant pharmacist. Uh, and if that does not illustrate, I mean, that out of that 88 residents, which could be a a, there's smaller long-term care facilities for sure but a lot of the ones we service are around 80s in in the numbers so that's a typical long-term care facility some are even much larger than that but to say that half of the people could potentially benefit from something related to pharmacogenomic testing that could again improve their quality of life improve the care that we're providing for them improve their disease state management etc that's incredible to me Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a large number when you think of half of our patients could benefit. I honestly think probably all our patients could benefit. But um, when you think about significant or moderate interactions, they had 53%. I just gave data this morning at a quality assurance meeting. And at that facility, we only tested 12 patients. um, So we didn't do like the whole facility. We just kind of picked out 12 that we thought could really use the help medication wise. And of those 12 patients, we had two severe and 34 moderate um, interactions. So, and they've only looked, the physicians only looked at two, three, five, gone through five of the results so far and already 30 med changes have been made from looking at five of the patients. That's crazy.
0: That is insane. That's a lot. Yeah. And you know, to think like, again, kind of to bring history back into this, you know, back in the day... And when we were in long-term, like it was just a guess, right? Like you just said, well, this person's not responding to this. So we're going to try this drug class now, or we're going to try this dose now. And I think what's so nice about this is that those don't come without a cost, right? Like every time we give somebody another medication, there's potentially other side effects that they're going to experience. And if that medication is not going to work well for that person, Now we may be actually worsening their quality of life than actually helping their quality of life. And so this idea of precise or precision medicine where you're looking at how they're going to metabolize that drug, how that drug is going to likely affect them, I just find it really cool, really interesting. Um, And obviously, lots of work on behalf of the consultant pharmacists out there that are doing this and all the doctors and everything. But I think the benefits obviously speak for themselves on... Uh, what this can do in the long-term care space.
1: Yeah, I think about one of my older um, elderly gentlemen who was on Tramadol four times a day and his results came back that he's a poor metabolizer at 2D6 and so that Tramadol wasn't effective. And so he was like almost in tears. He was like so thankful to get the results back because he goes, I kept telling everyone I'm still in pain and no one believed me. But it's easy, you know, with this day and age to just think... I guess in a negative tone, when people tell you that their med, pain meds aren't working, you think they're right. a drug seeker or you think negative, And that's not right because maybe it is their genetics. Maybe their pain medication really isn't working. And so to get that sweet man on some pain meds that work, that was huge. That's huge quality of life.
0: Well, and I just think, it, you know, too, to your point, I mean, absolutely. Are there there are people that are seeking pain meds out there. Yes, I mean that's gonna happen. But we really want to control people's pain. And I mean, also, you know, he felt validated and heard because mm-hmm. of that, right? And isn't that what we're really trying to do with when we talk about patient care? It's not that these people are numbers and we're just looking at their numbers and we're treating them as such. We're actually trying to better their lives and what they say matters. And I think that's such a cool story where it shows you guys did something that proved that he was telling the truth, obviously, but, but also helped him. Man, at the end of the day, like that's what we're trying to do. And I think that's really, this is why this tool is so amazing to me because it can help people. Uh, it's not appropriate for every single person uh, known to man. And that's kind of back to that blanket testing comment, but for sure, if there are people in long-term care facilities that are not responding how they should, or, are uh, just having lots of adverse effects and different things like that then this can be a, an incredible tool to help get them on appropriate drug regimens and you know better their quality of life it's pretty pretty yeah. awesome
1: one kind of unforeseen benefit to implementing PGX in long term care Is that it's helped me build relationships with a lot of people in long-term care. I've got to meet a lot of different providers. And then you end up, you know, like testing providers' kids for their ADHD or, you know, (laughs) you just end up building those relationships that are really cool. And I shared with um, Scott something really cool that happened to me last week was all of a sudden like this nursing home I've never been in called because a provider had wrote an ordered for, you know, evaluation consultation for a lady at another nursing home with a diagnosis of polypharmacy. And so I have built that relationship with that provider and trust. And so now she's having me come into just another nursing home and check out a patient. And so that was really cool to build yeah. that and build that trust and have people think that the pharmacogenomics is working, but then also just your knowledge as a pharmacist, you kind of prove your benefit to people that might not know all you can do.
0: Yeah. And that's another really cool point. And I hadn't really thought about that as much, but you know, the, this idea, because we've talked about, we've shared the frustrations of some of the consultant pharmacists. And if you're listening in, we hear you when you don't feel heard and you feel like you're sending letters that never get any replies back, or maybe the reply is, you know, just a no every single time we hear the frustration from here. We, we hear it loud and clear. And a lot of times, you know, I tell my team, it's about trying to establish that relationship with the physician and Um, You know, seeing what makes them tick and seeing what makes them think about things differently. And, but that's not always easy to do in long term care. A lot of times, the consultant pharmacists and all the other healthcare providers. often like passing ships and unless there's meetings that bring everybody together you're going in once a month as a consultant pharmacist the doctor's coming in at another point in time and i can't really fault the docs because they're looking at us saying you come in once a month why are you telling me what this person needs you know you're not here every single day so we rely a lot on the nursing staff and other people but the idea that pgx could be kind of this bridge that's extended so that we can have that interaction with a doctor and they can see the value of a pharmacist that then might change their entire outlook on a pharmacist and the role that they can have in long-term care is also incredible to me. And so, yeah, that's awesome. I hadn't even thought about that. Good point.
1: You got it. We're the medication <laughs> experts and we need people that know that how much we know and how much we can help. I just think, um, our knowledge is so underutilized in all right. areas of pharmacy. We're awesome, and so we make such a difference. That's and right. So, yeah, let's keep being awesome and yeah. implement some PGX.
0: Yeah. So if you're listening, Tamara and I think you're awesome. Let that we do make your day better. Um, so that's PGX and long-term care. Just an intro course there, and we'll kind of talk more about. This on, I think, at least another episode. I I think this is a really hot topic, especially if I'm judging anything by LinkedIn. I see at least like somebody did like the 12 days of genes or something on around that Christmas was awesome. time. That I was an incredible that. idea. I see like all this stuff about precision medicine all the time on there. And I don't want that to make people that are doing that <laughs> say you're posting it too much or something. That's not what I'm saying. But it is mm-hmm. definitely a very popular topic and I don't know that many people understand the role of PGX in the long term care space, since this is such a niche, 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 whatever you want to say there. We, t- we discussed that. Before <laughs> I don't on know. A previous episode. I
1: still don't know. We
0: still don't know. Um, somebody help us out. But uh, I think it's it's so cool. and And so we'll try to do at least another episode on this, maybe something later mm-hmm. on, too. Uh, but yeah, SPGX in long term care and some of the benefits that you can see from it and some of the experiences that Tamra shared that she's had. And I hope to share some more with myself as well as we kind of go through these things. But uh, with that, we'll sign off for today's podcast and we wish you guys a great rest of your day, great rest of your month. And, uh, and just remember, you're awesome, like Tamra said, and you're doing great things. So keep it up.
1: Thanks.